Welcome to this episode of Women to Women podcast series. Our guest today is Laurie Cook. She is the president and CEO of the Healthcare Business Women Association, a non-profit organization dedicated to furthering the advancement and impact of women in the business of healthcare. Laurie has been recognized as the mentor of the year by American Society of Association Executives, twice honored as 100 most inspiring people in life sciences by Pharma Voice, and healthcare champion by National Association of Female Executives. Laurie's career spans global roles across several industries and continents, holding executive roles. She graduated with a degree in microbiology from the University of Maryland, an advanced scientific degree in pharmacy from University of Washington. a master's degree in software engineering management from the University of Luton England she is a licensed pharmacist and a certified association executive hi lori welcome to our women to women podcast series we are so excited to have you with us today oh thank you for inviting me i'm really excited about uh, having a chat today heard you were born in dc and then raised near nasa so that is quite an exciting start how was your childhood i think i feel like i had an ideal childhood um i was i you know i had two loving parents siblings um i was really active in sports you know they called that a tomboy and it was it was wonderful and we lived there because my dad was an engineer and this plays into perhaps some things we'll talk about he worked on the simulators right to train astronauts when they go up to space that's why we lived there and it was really an interesting childhood because where we lived in that area was a very diverse area and i am of the age that in the US they started desegregation and i was actually bused to another school for high school where i had a very very eclectic upbringing so i i feel that probably drove a lot of things into my head at an early age about fairness and and equity so today you are the ceo and president of hba and wonderful organization um so how did you get here was that a straightforward path did you even ever plan to be in an organization like this no i never planned this you know i asked that question to a lot of leaders did they have a plan and most of the leaders didn't they they took opportunities when someone tapped them on the shoulder those those sorts of things i started out actually as a pre med student and then decided i wanted to spend more time really interacting with the patient my first degree is in microbiology and then i moved into pharmacy and then as a pharmacist you get to really practice your craft um and see very directly people getting better but you're not coming at them with with a needle or anything like that you're coming with solutions and uh, when i graduated i was so excited to get to practice and i met my husband to be and he's british so we moved to england and they were well can't practice here we don't accept you know the us qualifications so i thought well, i've just been to school for 8 years uh, you know what what do i do and so this was the beginning of thinking about my skills in a different way so how can i apply what i've learned 
and what I can do. And I actually went into the pharmaceutical uh, at Herx. I started with um, in outside of London where I developed anti-infectives. So my microbiology, my pharmacy, and my passion to, to help people moved into that arena and worked through different roles um, in the pharmaceutical industry, traveled around the world. And I had an opportunity for my husband where it was just a really long commute. So it was a practical decision. Like I can't keep doing this. And I opened up the newspaper. My husband laughed at me. You're not going to find a senior job in the newspaper. But just down the road was a nonprofit. And they were looking for someone with that kind of for-profit global how to do um, product development. And I learned nonprofit. So when the HBA was looking for a CEO, they were looking for a woman who understood the healthcare industry, understood nonprofit, global experience. And the, the job was just written written uh, for me, and I have been here for 15 years. I, I don't even know how the time has flown by. It's been so fun, joyful every day. This is perfect, right? It's everything coming together at the right time. You also mentioned in our earlier conversation that uh, you actually started as an engineering major, and you had some really interesting thoughts around, you know, after you moved, you discovered a few things. Oh my goodness. Of course, I, I adored my father and he was an engineer. So I was going to be an engineer. And I was one of the few women in a really aggressive engineering program and doing the physics and the maths and doing well. Um, but when we would be in lecture and they would do things where, you know, you show a shape and then you say which one of these shapes and, and you have to sort of in your mind I convert it. I would have to like really think about it. And, and my male colleagues would get the answer immediately. And my interpretation was this, they just had a, more of a strength in this. And that's when I actually shifted uh, to pre-med. Later, I found out better understanding medicine that in a female brain, we have a much thicker corpus callosum and, and how information is shared across our brain. And men tend to be more singular processing on one side of the brain. And what they've shown is women take an image and they have to process it in multiple places. And that's why I still got the right answer, but I, it took me longer than my male colleague. Still correct but a little bit longer because of how the brain processes. And now I think if I had understood that, if I had someone to counsel me, I would have stayed in engineering. I probably would have been in biomedical engineering because I do love that, that the medical side of the house. But isn't that fascinating? This is not about being inferior, but that was my observation. That's fascinating. And I think even today, a lot of people don't understand that. They want to go into STEM, but they think they, maybe they're not good enough. They're not fast enough. Oh, you're so right. No, but that was so interesting. That stuck with me. I'm like, oh my God, I never realized that. I still didn't realize it until you told me that. You basically had different careers from corporate to nonprofit in a different arena, right? And you also worked with PMI, which is very focused on project management, very processes. How was that transition? And what kind of skills did you think really helped you make that transition? I love to learn and I love to be really great at what I do, but I really love to have a team of people around me. I think best when I have other people 
um, to bounce ideas off of and to learn from. And, and you always come up with a better idea than if you did it um, yourself alone. So I think when I moved from corporate into nonprofit, it was a huge shock. When you are in corporate, your drive tends to be more focused on the financials, the quarterly profits, the shareholders, are we bringing them value? And when you move into the nonprofit side, you're thinking more of the longer term. How do we change a profession? How do we, and for me in HBA, how do we progress and achieve gender equity and parity? And that appealed to me, that longer term outlook. So I was dealing with a very technical subject at PMI, but isn't that what we do in STEM and, and in pharmaceutical development? They're very, very technical, very driven by data. So that piece was not that much of, of a shift. For me, it was more of having the longer game that you played and being able to see your successes measured perhaps in a different way. So somebody coming out of school right now and really inspired by HBA does so much for younger women as well. What would you say would be the best path to get to where you are today? Um, the path, unfortunately, is unique for each person. It really is unique for each person. One of the things that I do when I, I um, talk with people who are thinking about, you know, what should I be, is I always think about the three circles. So if you think about three concentric circles together and that little piece in the middle where they all overlap, that's the, the golden piece for you. And those three circles, um, number one is what are you good at? Uh, number two, what do you love to do? You get up in the morning and you just can't wait to do it. And number three is what will someone pay you to do? So what is a value in the marketplace, either today or hopefully look forward, right? You don't want to really, if we're looking at today, I mean, goodness, just go back two years ago, we're in a very different world. So trying to project where the jobs will be. And when you do that, and I think the hardest part is what you're good at. Because when you're really good at something, you think everyone can do it. It's so easy. So I always encourage people to have other people who know them. You know, when you think of one word, what do you think of when you think of me? And start to find out where your strengths are. And then really that introspective, what gives me joy? What if I didn't even get paid? I would still do this. You know, if someone could put food on my table, what would I do? And when you marry those together, that gives you a much better idea of the types of roles that would work for you. But I'll just add one quick piece, which is I had no idea about all the potential roles there could be that I could have. Um, until I moved into the association world, right? Join whatever the association is that you, you know, is aligned for, for you and your career, join an association. So coming out of college and even when you're in college, I would join several associations. Usually they have student rates. That's where you meet people and you think that's even a job. Um, and, and it really broadens your perspective because if not, you, you kind of have a couple of role models. So you're very limited in what could be. So that, those are some of the things is think really broadly, get lots of ideas, and then do that three concentric circles exercise. Excellent advice. In terms of mentors, did you have any mentors? And what's your point of view? Should people seek out mentors? What's the value of having that? 
I did not really understand the concept of mentoring when I was growing up. I'm sure I had mentors because it's just sort of a natural thing that you do in life. Someone wants to give you advice and, you know, like my grandmother was a mentor to me. I didn't have that label, that name to put on it. Whereas now I think it's, it's more codified the understanding of why it's so important to have mentors. It is essential, absolutely essential. Mentoring is two ways, right? Even if you're the mentor and you you have a mentee, you learn so much from that mentee. So I encourage reverse mentoring, especially around digital and things like that is if you're over a certain age, you are not a digital native. So you really do need to have um, understand. So it's not just how do what, you know, point and click. It's really how to think differently around digital. So I think there's reverse mentoring, but There's a line I read somewhere, which is, you know, we've been mentored to death. Women get mentored so much, but we're not sponsored. So that's where I put more of my energy is in understanding what is sponsorship? How can I have a sponsor and how can I be a sponsor for others, especially diverse candidates? In terms of role models, did you have any role models? I actually just did a a little video about this. I always thought Marie Curie was fascinating. My role models are all women. And I don't know why, but they're they're all women. And I think that probably should have told me something. I love the concept of a strong woman, two Nobel Prizes, and her daughter had a Nobel Prize and, you know, her husband, etc. She knew what she wanted. She got it, but she engaged people around her to do it. That powerful break the barriers. Those are the kind of role models that that are are really important to me, whether, you know, you're Eleanor Roosevelt and you watch um, some shows about her and read history. She was a woman in her own right with her own thoughts. um, And that wasn't the case really back into the 50s, even into the 60s. Women couldn't get a credit card on their own. I mean, it's really hard to believe it's not that long ago take a plug here to to just speak to the younger women. I know it doesn't appear that there are gender differences um, and that that you wouldn't have parity, but when you do get into the workforce, the workforce is a machine, right? You have an organization with processes and, and people with biases. Until we fix the companies, you will not have the same opportunities and progress at the same rate and pace as your male colleague, even though you're doing amazing and excellent work. So we do have to, we're not fixing women. Women do not need fixing. We are fixing companies. And and I do think we still have work to do. So a lot of times women mentioned at work, there are still so many perceptions about women, the way we work, the way we think. Have you ever seen that throughout your career, certain perceptions that you think keep us down? Oh yeah. (laughs) How long do we have? I'll I'll give you a few. One is I personally had a learning and then I observed it in others. I do believe women tend to have a belief that they have to be perfect and they work really, really hard for everything to be perfect. And they see their male colleagues progressing and they're not doing as, you know, perhaps as quality work as they are doing and they don't understand why that's happening. I realized I was trying to be perfect and almost if I wasn't progressing or doing, being recognized as much, it made me become even more focused on perfection. I'll do a better job 
And what I realized is it's actually better to get more work products out that aren't perfect. That level of the final steps to get to perfection take a huge amount of energy and the payback, unless that's important in that case, is not there. So interacting with more people, right? Getting out there in your company, interacting with people outside your department, getting your name known, being of value in your organization will get you further than staying at your desk, turning away to get that perfect work product. So perfection is your enemy. That was one thing. So if think about a, a male perspective, so don't come through the eyes of a woman, think through the eyes of a man. If a woman has a job opportunity and she wants to be perfect for it and look at all those um, qualifications and she doesn't meet all of those. She doesn't put herself forward. The male perspective in observing that, it may look that she doesn't really want to progress because why didn't she put herself forward for the job? So we send a lot of messages, staying at our desk, not getting as many work products out, not putting our you know hand up. One other thing that just is something um, that I observed seems to be more frequent with women is we use minimizing language. Please look at this when we're in meetings and encourage your female colleagues not to do this. So perhaps it's we're in a meeting and we you know, want to make a point and we say, uh, I just wanted to say, what do you mean? I just like, I just, if you start anything out with, I just, or I think, think, or I'm not sure, you know, like those kind of qualifiers um, and the demeaning, I'm sorry, or um, you say something and then you say, you know, don't you think you're trying to get validation. It makes us not look as if we are as strong in our views. And I do think it's a socialized thing where we don't want to come across as boastful. Um, and so we try to kind of shrink our intelligence, or our great ideas, and then we get mad, right? When people don't take us seriously, but we are part of being, you know, back to that look through both lenses of the recipient and, and where you are. And sometimes that can help you to see that there are perhaps some things that you could adjust in your language that could make a huge difference. Are there any other things that we as women should be doing to stand out at workplace and mm -hmm. really get what we deserve? Because to your point, we do a lot of work, but how we get presented or how we even present ourselves kind mm -hmm. of inhibits getting a lot of what we need or deserve. So what more can we do? The number one thing is please tell your boss what it is that you want. So if you really do want to be promoted or you want to manage people or you perhaps want to move into a different department and get broader skills, whatever it is, tell your manager. I would also even tell other people, people to help you when they see opportunities to go, oh, I know Laurie had been you know, interested in X, Y, or Z. That is the number one thing because if someone doesn't know what you want, they're not in your head. That piece is incredibly important. The second is ask for candid feedback and really accept that feedback. 
accept it graciously, thank the person, and then you can think later on on what how you factor in, especially if you have a mentor. You can take candid feedback to that mentor and they can help process it with you. Because sometimes the feedback is just one person's observation and not really something you should listen to. Other times the feedback might be really focused on your weaknesses. And I'm a big believer, focus on your strengths unless the weakness is a a rate limiting factor. There has been an observation from men who have shared with me that they sometimes don't give women really critical feedback because they don't want to upset them. And quite often women cry actually when they give them that feedback. So isn't it kind of obvious they're going to maybe sugarcoat it or just not even give that feedback to you. Women need the same kind of feedback as men. They need it early in their careers. And it's up to us as the recipient to say, I do want that feedback. Please feedback as a gift. I will accept it as such. And so those are just, you know, a couple of things that I think we could do to really make a difference in how we show up. You also said something very interesting. You had said, we need to widen the trail. Can you explain that a little? Well, you know, when you see, you see a woman doing, you know, like a blazing a path, right? It's the first woman to do this, the first woman to do that. I mean, it's great that there is a first, there is now a path. What we need to do is widen the trail. We need to get as many women coming down that path as possible. It's not a single file. Um, There's a limited number of women who can, you know, be on a board or whatever it might be. You want as many women as possible. So I think changing our optics to, yes, you can blaze the trail, but really the important thing is widening the path. You also wrote a book with 21 pieces of advice and I thought that was such a creative way of passing down something, you know, your values, what you believe in and your advice to your daughter. So how did that book idea even come along? I was approached by um, Philips Healthcare, um, the international arm of Philips, and they wanted very much to um, have a leadership book and for people to reflect on creative ways on how to think about leadership. So there's information in there, there, there's music, there's poetry. And so what I did is my 21 pieces of advice to my daughter on her 21st birthday. And the reason that was important to me, besides I love my daughter incredibly, and she's so, so amazing, is um, I just found this consistent pattern of questions that people asked and, you know, consistent piece of advice you could give. So I thought, well, what would I tell my daughter when I would think of how to answer a question for someone? And so I just thought that would be a a good way to sort of frame the the hard-earned wisdom that I have had over the many, many years. You mentioned your daughter. So you did make some career choices because of your young family. There are so many women out there who are in a similar situation today, where there's a really up and coming career, but you also have your family and that's important. Mm -hmm. What kind of work balance did you try to achieve realistically? And what do you think worked for you? I think the first thing is realizing that you can have it all. You just can't have it all at one time. 
it's a, a changing priority. So perhaps the priority is your job one day. You've got a really important meeting at work, a presentation, a business trip. And another day, the importance is your family, birthdays, going to your child's um, you know, some, a show at school or their game. For me, it was about really, really strong organizational skills, thinking about all the different people in the family, what they needed when they, they needed it, and try to not feel a failure when you didn't do everything for everyone perfectly that day. So thinking about it with this day, this is a priority. This day, this is a priority. And try and, and be gracious and have, have gratitude at the end of the day on what you were able to accomplish instead of what we sometimes do, which is all the things we didn't accomplish. The way that helps is if you really think about that priority, it helps you to raise up the importance of whatever it is that's sitting in front of you. That sort of number one. The second is how can you get help? You need to ask for help. And that was one of my biggest learnings. I didn't ask for help. I thought, okay, I'm the one who chose to have children and a career and keep a marriage going and you know like all of those things if i now ask for help it's like told you so i just couldn't bear the told you so so i just did it all and when people would ask can i help it's like oh no got it got it um and i would encourage everyone please this is not a weakness we all need help and the more i can do something really easily that might be something harder for you and that collective concept um, we did live in New Zealand for several years, and I was so impressed by a sort of cultural norm there, which was this collective help that people gave each other. And I, I practice it, you know, to this day. And I'm joyful to be able to help someone else. And what about networking? Like, in, in all of this, of course, you have a support system, which is extremely important, so you can tap into them. Professionally, similar structure is really your network. What do you think is the importance of networking? How soon should people start? And what really networking means to you? Yeah, there's a phrase, you build your well before you're thirsty. Definitely build your network before you need it. We're humans, we want community. And women typically do really well in creating community. What we don't do is leveraging that community. But um, having said that, you can have a network of friends right? People who are there for you, you can call. And when when you just want to cry on someone's shoulder, or you need someone to give you a slap and say, you know, shape up, um, or whatever it might be, having the network of friends, having the network of people, some refer to it as a board of directors, have a group of people that you can go to and say, I need your advice. You hear different perspectives and they guide you. Having your board of directors. For me, I learned a broader concept of network, which is simply those different perspectives. When you have a broader network, you hear different views. You see people doing different things, reacting differently. Um, and it broadens you as a, as a human being to see that, you are navigating your world and thinking that's how it is and it isn't. That's how it is for you. And I think that's when you can be a better human being by being able to see that we all have value and worth, 
but we don't all have the same equitable opportunities. And that I can't know that I don't have somebody else's life experience. So networking is actually one of those gifts that helps you to see how others are going through the world and what they are facing. So I would say networking can be seen as, oh, let's change business cards, right? That's not, I mean, of course that's networking, but I'm talking about really developing a network. That means people in your community and try your best to maintain those people. So it's not, you just use them for this and then you move on to a different group. Hopefully you have those people in your life for forever. They may not be your best friend, but they're still there. Just more people connected in the world has got to be a better thing. Speaking of global, you have been like a true global citizen, right? You, you have stayed in so many different places. Yes. Do you think that mobility has changed your perspective and how? Oh my goodness, yes. <laughs> Even in the US, you're on the, the East Coast versus the West Coast versus the, you know, the Midwest, that, that sort of thing. You do recognize there are differences. But when you live in Europe and you recognize the Nordic countries versus, you know, more the Latin Southern countries, even within a country, the North Germans and then the Southern Germans, or um, if you live in Paris versus the rest of France, people are very different with some very long history, especially as Americans, we do not have a true understanding of a lot of the world's history, not even in our own country sometimes. When you travel, you recognize how different the situations have been, but you see commonalities, right? That's when you see, it doesn't matter where you are, we all have commonalities, women having children, etc. that binds us um, together. One thing I'll add about travel, I saw a study where they measured uh, the way your brain and your creativity after you have been in a place where you either had a different language or a different currency, or you had to mathematically, you know, be doing that conversion rate in your head, those sorts of things. When you came back to your own country, your level of creativity and that creative thinking and connecting dots stayed for some period of time. So what happens is when you are in a different country or a different culture, you have to move into sort of problem solving that generates pieces in your brain, activates them. So I would encourage people to absolutely, wherever they can, have experiences of people from different parts of the world. You realize sometimes you, you feel you don't agree with them because you don't understand the situation. And when you can get to that place of friendships and understanding why you see things differently, that makes you um, have a stronger team. That is so true, though. When I came to US, yes. <laughs> it was like it was a conversion factor right away. Every dollar I could convert within seconds and how much actually I was paying in my local currency. Exactly. I was quick at math. Clearly, in 24 years, I've slowed down quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that's part of the human condition. If you had to go back and redo something in your life or, you know, live your life again, what would you do differently? I do think everything that has happened to you, whether you might see it as sometimes a negative, and it ends up making you who you are today. And that's why I'm a big believer in reframing. When something happens, 
that perhaps you didn't get a promotion or something happened that you're sort of taken aback by it, when you reframe it into what did it teach you or what could doors could this open up or I need to take action because of the situation, it causes something to happen, which means you now are where you are today because of it. So you tend to be wiser, even if everything was positive in our life, the whole way, we wouldn't really know how positive it was. You know, the lows help us to really see the highs are even brighter and more beautiful. I have a beautiful family. I have a wonderful job. I have amazing friends. I'm happy. That's wonderful. We also talked a little bit about the mindset and how the mindset can, and you just mentioned reframing situations. How do you think that can really help women? I think we can if we allow ourselves to have internal negative talk. It is something if you can, whether you do mindfulness or meditation or have um, friends who help coaching and guide you so you hear those positive affirmations. And there is even a list of positive affirmations that you can take that you can pick one and say something every day. I believe sort of reset the brain into we are all capable, valuable individuals. And if we stay in this place where let's say something happened to you in a meeting and someone said something and you feel, you know, you leave the meeting and you just, I should have said this. I, I shouldn't have said that. And you just like relive it and you relive it. What good did that do you? If you reframe it to how could I have done that differently? A couple of examples. If you can, and you can have this inside your notebook, you can write out a few phrases that can be your go-to phrases. So you don't have to think up an answer right on the spot. Either if somebody said something critical to you, or you didn't know an answer, or like you can find those and you fr frame that in your book, you can have that as go-tos. It saves you so many times. Because when we go into, a, we're surprised by a piece of feedback, it just turns into this negative spiral versus framing it on, perhaps I should go and make an appointment with the person who said that and ask if they would give you some feedback, right? And they become an ally. But if I didn't reframe that to look for how can I learn and grow from this, I just sit there and think, wow, you know, loser, uh, right? And, and that, is, that is not good for you as someone that wants to develop and, and grow. So that's the kind of reframing personally yourself or asking others to help you reframe. It's the same situation, but now you see it in a different light and you can be constructive about it. So you announced your retirement, which is coming up. So what's next? What do you plan to do? What's, what's the next chapter? Uh, I had some great advice, which was say no to everything for six months. <laughs> I was like, what? And they said, well, what happens is when you retire, everyone thinks, oh, you have all this time on your hands. And so now you're busier than you were before you retired. So I plan on, I have a whole list of things to think about. And I just want to think about things, see how I can be useful and valuable to probably nonprofit work. I love 
service. So it's probably something along there. I want to spend more time with my family. Um, we're building a house um, in North Carolina, small cottage, nothing big. We want to really, it's all about downsizing and, um, and being good stewards of the world's resources. So we're, we're not trying to have a big footprint. Just all of those things that I don't have time to do because I am so busy at work. And then we'll see, but I just want to, you know, move into the next chapter of my life. Yeah, no, you you have done so much. You have had such a huge impact. And by the way, lunch with lorries, I love those. So I hope that that happens. But there's so much that you have done. Everybody I speak to who knows you, they're like, oh, my God, she's leaving. We will be watching to see what's next for you. So in closing, any advice for young women coming out of school and also the mid-career woman trying to make it through? Yeah. So you want to have your mentors and sponsors lined up. You really, that's, that is, that is so important in whatever field you go into. I personally think the healthcare and life sciences field is one of the most important areas that you can work in. Such an important thing in everyone's life. What, what's the number one thing you need your health so that we're contributing to the health of the population, um, world's population is an amazing thing. I think the third thing I would say is we do need more women and specifically women of color at all levels of business, but there are particular areas where we don't have enough women. So women in tech, right? Um, women in STEM. So if that is of interest to you, I would strongly encourage you to to progress in that area. But whatever we do, as we make it to the top, turn around and send the elevator back down for others. Thank you so much, Laurie. This was a honor to have you on our podcast. And thank you so much for your time and great advice. Thank you. It was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. And I hope the advice was helpful for people uh, to hear it and, and learn, hopefully in an easier fashion. Thank you.